Right now, Lena Miyakawa is a busy person. My name is Lena Miyakawa. I am a pulmonary critical care medicine physician. Pulmonary means lungs, um, and mm-hmm. critical care means I'm an intensivist, and I work in the intensive care unit in the ICU in the hospital. This means she's in the middle of New York's health crisis. I work at Mount Sinai Beth Israel in Manhattan. I'm in the East Village. Sinai system is throughout Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, out in Long Island also. I caught Miyakawa on some downtime. When she's on, she's working... Anywhere from 12 to 16 hours. One of the reasons she's so busy is that she's working on and thinking about those ventilators you might have heard about. The machines that help patients breathe when they can't on their own. Mechanical ventilation is essentially a type of life support, uh, life support machine. The setup includes a tube that goes down your throat, hooked up to a machine. The machine is able to give you oxygen and then also take out the um, carbon dioxide also. Oh, so it's an in and out, basically? Yes, yes. Inhalation and exhalation, that's right. That's particularly important now because many of the patients hospitalized with COVID-19 need those ventilators to breathe, sometimes for long stretches. And Miyakawa is one of the doctors tending to those patients and those machines. Serendipitously, I was in the ICU when the first COVID patient that was diagnosed came into our ICU. And so I have personally intubated, what that means is put these tubes down people's throats more than dozens of times now. And so I have been on the actual front lines, unfortunately. I'm Mark Chisano, and this is Episode 5 of Newsday Opinion's Life Under Coronavirus. We got in touch with Dr. Miyakawa to hear more about how ventilators work and what doctors in New York are doing to deal with the limited supply of the machines. The machines we do have are pretty incredible entities. So you have one tube in your mouth. Um, it's called an endotracheal tube. Um, uh-huh. And that is connected to one tube that splits into two. One that is essentially getting the oxygen from the ventilator and one that is taking out the CO2 or the carbon dioxide from the patient back to the ventilator. That endotracheal tube, she says. It gets placed into your throat and past your vocal cords. And there's a balloon at the end of it um, that gets inflated so that it stays in place. If you can imagine that balloon... um, It's not that secure, um, and so it can't just be the balloon. So there's also a type of tape that goes onto the face, um, one on each cheek, and then one that wraps around the AT tube, that's the endotracheal tube, to keep it in place around um, the mouth. Um, And then that is what's connected to the tubes. Um, back to the machine. Using a ventilator is an invasive process. How I always explain it to family, you know, the patient's loved ones and um, even patients before they get intubated is that it's not comfortable. It is very invasive. Um, It's not something that we do lightly. Um, And some people never come off of the machine. And so when they have the tube in place, they cannot talk. It's going through their vocal cords. um, And even if they're awake, they won't be able to vocalize anything. Sometimes restraints are used and a feeding tube is put in. These are life support machines. You know, COVID-19 hasn't really acted like a lot of these bacterial pneumonias or, you know, like the flu where patients can get better pretty quickly um, if they're given the right antibiotics, if they're given the right support. They seem to be on these ventilators for a pretty prolonged period of time. I asked if she had taken the machine out of any of her patients. Had they gotten any better? For her small sample size up to that point, here's what she said. 
I personally have not seen anybody get better yet. Um, like I said, I think this is a marathon, and I think we're looking at weeks and months of this. Um, and every single day, patients get weaker and weaker, being um, on heavy sedatives, being in bed. And that's just part of uh, the disease process. Um, and we're trying to battle this by uh, making sure that people are aware of the ventilator shortages and that, you know, possibly DOD um, or anybody else can make more ventilators for us. This has been the rallying cry for doctors, health officials, and politicians at various levels. We need more ventilators. We need them now. Governor Andrew Cuomo has estimated a need for about 40,000 ventilators, and the state is still far below that number despite shopping around and begging the federal government. That has driven doctors like Miyakawa to a fairly last resort method, taking one ventilator and sharing it. So the ventilator, usually there's one machine, one person, two tubes um, coming out of that machine, one for inhalation, one for exhalation, and it goes back into the machine. Um, And normally, um, it's just one set of that. But given, let's say, if you can put two patients on a ventilator, some people say you can put up to four uh, four people um, on a ventilator. You'll need just an extra set of tubing, extra set of essentially what these things are called T-pieces. They're plastic um, plastic cases, essentially, that look like a T. And so they can, mm-hmm. we can connect and jerry-rig the tubes together um, to go to the patient and back to the machine. In this split situation, the patients would be close together near the life-saving machine. The head of the patient should be essentially right next to the ventilator, so... Some people call, uh-huh. call it like a star shape. So you have two patients right in front of the ventilator and two kind of to the side, almost forming a T or a star. Um, and so they'll be all clustered around one ventilator. Ventilator sharing has been studied a little bit. A lot of papers out there have simulated this with artificial lungs and have shown that it doesn't cause harm. Now oh, that's, interesting. Okay. That's obviously an artificial lungs, and so that's not quite human. Sharing has been tried in a minimal way for coronavirus patients in Italy and also after the mass shooting in Las Vegas in 2017. But then again, we have had anecdotal evidence um, being used with some patients. So um, it's it's a whole new world out there. We're trying to uh, be able to protect patients, but also have to be inventive at the same time to be able to treat the large number of patients uh, that are being affected by COVID-19. Miyakawa says that the scale is different this time. Now, doctors are trying to figure out how to get ventilator support to thousands of patients. I think a lot of these things that we talk about um, with COVID-19, it's the scale that makes it a lot more difficult. It seems like a tantalizing possibility. Double or quadruple the number of patients you can support and maybe save just by adding on some spare parts. But... Ventilator sharing is complicated. Patients sharing one would need to also be able to share the same settings so that one person doesn't get too much from the machine and one person too little. You also couldn't have one person moving too much. But if you can imagine if you have two patients on one ventilator, if one person moves, um, they can dislodge the tube from the other person. 
And you'd have to make sure patients didn't infect each other across the tubes. I think there's a few morality clauses here that, you know, as physicians, we mm-hmm. we worry about. And that's one of them, to make sure that, you know, one patient isn't infecting the other. I think that risk is uh, mitigated by this antimicrobial filter that's placed between the two patients. Um, and... You know, hopefully we can match the patients with COVID-19. Both of them have COVID-19 and no other infections in place so that we don't cross-contaminate. Then, of course, there's the fact that this is pretty much uncharted territory. So I think it's been done, but it hasn't ever been quite well studied because it's not something that we do on a normal day-to-day basis. Miyakawa and other Mount Sinai doctors are prepping for this last resort possibility. New York Presbyterian Hospital tried it early. Mount Sinai South Nassau's chief of critical care, Frank Coletta, said last week that he hoped never to have to splint a ventilator, but the possibility was being explored. A spokesman for Northwell Health put it even more starkly. He said, we would do it if we had no other choice. I asked Miyukawa what the dream situation was regarding the splits, if she could marshal all of the region's ingenuity to get the tubing and everything for ventilator sharing, wave a magic wand and get it up and running. The magic wand would say we have poofed, you know, hundreds and thousands of more ventilators at our doorstep Uh tomorrow. I think that's the best case scenario because then we're not worrying about, you know, co-infecting or one patient is going to accidentally exubate the other or if... Um, you know, a lot of other science, sciencey things that we don't need to talk about, about, you know, making sure that um, there's no trauma to the lungs of the other patient. There's a lot of things that uh, come into the lung mechanics of this. And so if we could just put one patient to one ventilator, that would be the best case scenario. Since Miyakawa is really at the center of the outbreak here, I asked her what she does to stay sane during all this. Actually, I have a dog that um, I've had since I was in college, and she really keeps me very, very sane. So um, that and just some yoga at home, that's about it. That's about the amount of time I have. Her attitude seems to be, it's what I signed up for. I think I've always had a tough time kind of separating work and personal life. Um, That's that's just me. Um, But... Mm -hmm. Also, I think I signed up for this kind of job because I knew that I thrived in this type of setting where um, when it's an emergency, I think the most clearly. And so, yes, I am uh, resting when I can. I'm trying to stay healthy and I try to um, distract myself whenever I can to take a mental break. I asked if her family was worried about her and she laughed, said people have been asking her that lately even though she's far from home. I'm actually from Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, oh, wow. Far away from home. Yeah, very, very far. She says her mom is understanding. I think my mom knows what kind of person I am, and I think she knows mm-hmm. that, like I said, I think this is the time that, um, you know, I am mentally prepared for all of the challenges to come, and I think she knows that, and so she's not bugging me or anything. The coming weeks are going to test the New York hospital system. And thousands more people may need those ventilators being labored over by Miyakawa and her colleagues. As she's prepping for that, she gave this message to people out there who might soon be her patients. We can only treat the sick, and that's after they fall sick. We want to try to prevent people from falling um, sick. And so 
staying home, um, social distancing, it's really not a joke. I think it's, you know, we're in a, we're in war at this point now, and we really want to make sure that people understand how serious this is. Thanks for listening to Life Under Coronavirus. If you know of someone we should be covering, or you want to share your own experience about coronavirus in New York, leave us a voicemail with your name and phone number at 631-213-1543. That's 631-213-1543 with your message to the Opinion Department's Life Under Coronavirus podcast. We may use your message as the basis for a future episode. Amanda Ficina is our producer, and once again, I'm Mark Chisano from Newsday Opinion. Stay healthy. See you next time.